Welcome to Divorce and Other Things You Can Handle, a branded podcast from Worthy, dedicated to celebrating women like you as you embrace a new beginning after divorce, separation, or whatever. I'm Mandy Walker, and I'm your host. Consider this. Your diamond ring, bridal set, or other diamond jewelry can be a hidden financial asset that helps you with that fresh start. But selling jewelry can be a nightmare. Worthy offers an easy, headache-free solution by partnering with you to help you sell your jewelry and get the best deal on your piece. Our quick and easy process means less work for you and more money when you sell, all done from the comfort of your home. Visit worthy.com to learn more. Welcome to Divorce and Other Things You Can Handle, a branded podcast from Worthy. I'm Mandy Walker and I'm your host. For this episode, we're talking about handling debts in divorce. There are lots of different kinds of debts and most of us have at least some. The biggest debt most often is the mortgage on the house. And we're not actually going to talk about that today because we've covered that in another episode. What we will be talking about, though, are like things like credit cards, IRS, car loans, student loans, medical debt, loans from family members. And I think that the, you know, what you'll discover through the theme of the podcast is that there are some common guidelines that apply to all these debts, but there are also nuances to them. Here to help us figure all of this out is my guest today, Lisa Decker. Lisa is a certified divorce financial analyst. That's a CDFA in case you're not familiar with that term, and the author of How to Divorce Your Spouse, Not Your Money. Lisa has an online community, Divorce Town USA, and collaborates with Amicable Divorce Network. Welcome, Lisa. Thank you so much, Mandy. I'm very appreciative of being invited on your show and uh, I'm worthy behind all of this wonderful work you do. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm really looking forward to our conversation I thought we could start by trying to talk about some of those guidelines that apply to all debts. Simplistically, maybe, when you're dividing up the debts during the divorce, the best case scenario is whoever's name is on the loan gets to take responsibility for that debt through the division of the assets. But then we do get to some joint debts and debts in one person's name that the other person is going to pay off. But I think what's important for our listeners to realize is you can make an agreement with your spouse on that, but that doesn't change the agreement with the lender. Could you talk more about that? What are the, some of the risks there? And Absolutely. And that's such an important point because we realize in the work that we both do that many attorneys and judges do not understand that you may be ordered to pay a certain debt, but if you have not been pre-qualified or if you do not have the means, you know, you can set both parties up for failure. And it's vitally important that all debts, including the mortgage, and I know you've covered that, but that all debts are looked at individually and as a liability line item on the marital balance sheet to make sure that you are divorcing your spouse and your joint debts too. Because your creditors are not subject to the terms of your settlement agreement. So even though your spouse may have been ordered to pay off your credit card debt, if he or she can't, won't, or or just it isn't feasible, it isn't possible, you're still going to be held liable if your name is on that debt. And that's universal with things like credit cards, car loans, 
tax obligations, definitely. And then, you know, there's some other types of loans that, that we see that are handled differently, like loans to family and friends and business partners. But when you're talking about the typical creditors, that's going to apply there. And then, of course, if you do have, if, if the worst case comes to it and the lender does come after you, but your spouse's or former spouse is supposed to be paying that, you would have recourse through the courts to try and get indemnification from your former spouse because of what's in your marital agreement. But it's really best to try and not set yourself up for that in the first place. Yes, because you don't want to be dealing with divorce matters after you're divorced. Um, (laughs) You know, and I have seen people spend more money post-divorce trying to figure out credit issues that could have been avoided overall. And, you know, it's very difficult sometimes to get those fees reimbursed as well. So you can spend a lot of money going after a little bit of debt, a a medium amount of debt. There's no there's no guarantee that you'll get the legal fees back. So it becomes a risk reward decision, right? And, but meanwhile, there, it's very difficult to put a price on the credit hit that you may have taken because your spouse didn't do what they were supposed to do. And so I agree with you wholeheartedly that we try to get all the joint debts paid off if possible and, you know, if not, that we assign those particular debts to either spouse and get the other spouse's name off of things that we can. It's a little tricky. I mean, that's what the work that we do is so important because there's no, every case is different. And a lot of times you may have heard this too. People come in and say, oh, my case is not that complicated, right? <laughs> but when we start looking at it, boy, do we see red flags and credit issues are among the biggest. Absolutely. So, so let's do, um, talk through a, a practical example here and let's just take a car loan and let's say the car loan is in joint names and I'm going to take the car and we're talking about who's going to pay off the car loan and the way things are, one of the proposals is my former spouse is going to pay off the car loan. Mm-hmm. What would be your concerns there? Well, my first concern would be, can they afford to do that? And will they comply with that? Both of your credit will take a hit if it's a joint debt. So again, going back to what we just talked about, even if they've been ordered to pay that debt, if they can't or they won't, you're going to take a hit as well. We're back to square one. And you may not have, you may have trouble going and buying another car and a house and all kinds of things. All of the pieces of our credit go back to the credit report every single thing. And so one mishap can affect everything else, including the ability to buy a home, buy another car, to get credit cards, your interest rates go up. And, you know, it can really wreak havoc on your life. So, one simple thing. So let's thing. say in this scenario, my former spouse says, yep, no, I'll, I'll take the loan. I understand that. I'll pay it. And what I've seen is that refinancing the car loan often is not an option, especially on newer cars, because the car value is less than what the loan is. So you can't refinance it. So you're kind of backed into a corner there. But let's say, so what are some of the ways that I can protect myself against that scenario that you're talking about when my former spouse is supposed to be paying it? Okay. And agrees they're going to pay it. Yes. The agreement in theory is that they're going to pay it. But 
we don't know that that's actually going to happen. So I would say I would look at if it's not possible to refi because it's upside down or some other matter, maybe the the spouse that's taking the car doesn't have good credit, um, looking at offsetting other assets and taking out from a share of the spouse that is supposed to be responsible for paying the loan, taking cash assets from them to be able to pay the loan off so the loan doesn't exist anymore. Okay. That's one way. And then I'll see if that's not an option, then at the very least, I want to make sure that I'm getting statements from the car loan finance company so that I can see that those payments are being made. Yes. And I have an immediate alert if the payments aren't made. Very good. Absolutely. That would be uh, another point. The other concern I would have with this doesn't have to do with debt, but it would have to do with liability. Some states say that if you're on the loan, you're also liable for the vehicle. And if your spouse, the spouse taking the car were to get an accident, there's a potential that the other spouse who no longer owns the vehicle, well, in theory, by paper, they still do. They're still on the note. They're still on the, uh, they will be on the title when it's issued. They could be held liable as well. So it's important from a risk perspective to make sure that debt is severed as well. Right. And you just mentioned about the title, and that makes me think too, even if you get through the period of paying off the loan, then you do need to make sure that the finance company will issue the title to whoever's name is on the loan. Right. At that point, then you need to follow through and make sure that there's a release of title to the person who was assigned the vehicle. And that should all be specified in the settlement agreement if that's the only way that you can go. But all those terms, you know, time frame for them to do that and everything else. I've seen people chase around spouses trying to get their title back in their own name. And, you know, it can create a mess. Right. Wow. So we're kind of back to that first guideline there is, and in this case, we've got an asset to go with the loan, but you really want the person who's taking the asset to take the loan as well and to get the other person off the loan title right as of the date of the divorce, if at all possible. Yes. Take them off the loan and take the liability off of them as well. Okay, great. And not only that, but sometimes when you have these kinds of situations, it precludes the other spouse from being able to get another loan because their debt to loan ratio gets too high. And so the spouse that doesn't have the car may not be able to go afford to buy another. Right, right. Let's jump to talking about medical debts. And kind of the the same thing here is you got to decide whose debt it is and then whose name is the debt in and who's paying it. Right. And this is a different situation because medical debt is going to be in one person's name. You know, they're never going to assign the debt to both spouses. Uh, You're the patient. You're the one that's responsible for it. But it is still a marital debt if it has taken place during the marriage. So a lot of people don't realize that even if it is something in your own name, if that debt obligation was taken on during the marriage, it's still marital debt in most cases. Now, every state has different guidelines, but for the most part, that what I've seen that follows the true in many states And so, yes, we divide those up by name. We uh, then look, how can we equalize this somewhere else? Maybe someone takes on more of the debt to alleviate 
the other person having more medical debt. You know, there's different creative ways that we can do this as well. But it's not as challenging as a credit and car loans and, and mortgages for sure. The same thing would fall true for student loans because they're only going to be in one well, name or the well, other. We'll, we'll come on to student loans in a minute because I just want, I have another question on medical debt before we move off that. And that is like when the medical debt is in the name of the child, ah. you might end up in a situation where you are agreeing that you're splitting it some 60, 40, 50-50 or something, but then you're into that need to monitor that those payments are being made because if your name is on the account, the medical provider is going to hold you responsible regardless of what you've agreed with your former spouse. Yes, you're right about that one. That's a good point because um, children's parents are going to be held liable for the children's debts. So that would have to have something in writing about what percentage and, you know, how they're going to pay it off. Maybe they make uh, arrangements with the medical provider to pay so much a month for a term and that they both can agree upon and live up to. Um, You know, the medical providers don't want to see people fail as well. So, yeah, that's a great point. I also understand, like, in terms of if you had to prioritize the debts, I think medical providers might... What I've read and understood is that they're probably more patient than credit card. Like you don't get charged an interest charge. Right. You can negotiate a payment plan on that. So that's to your favor to figure that out. Like you've got to make sure you're paying your car loan. You've got to make sure you're paying credit cards. Absolutely. But the medical debt may be a lower priority and that you can negotiate a more manageable payment plan on that. And I've also seen people pay down the debt for a while under an agreement and then call the medical provider back and say, look, you know, I can't continue to make these payments anymore, but what would you accept as a lump sum and maybe be able to buy out that debt at a, a lower amount? So yes, they are more flexible because they don't have the same standing as these others do, although they report you to the credit bureau. But yeah, it is a much different situation. And those are good points. Lisa, let's take a short break here. And then when we come back, we're going to jump on to student loan debt that you mentioned. Okay. Listeners, my guest today is CDFA Lisa Decker. Lisa is the creator of the online community Divorce Town USA and also collaborates with Amicable Divorce Network. You're listening to Divorce and Other Things You Can Handle. We'll be right back and do stay tuned for more advice on staying smart about your debts in divorce. Moving past divorce is hard enough without your old engagement ring staring you in the eye every time you open your jewelry box. With Worthy, you'll find a selling partner who will help you transform your ring from a symbol of the past to a financial asset to help you start fresh. Worthy takes care of everything, from insurance coverage to secure shipping, professional grading, and more. So when you're ready to sell, visit worthy.com. We're ready when you are. Welcome back to Divorce and Other Things You Can Handle. I'm your host, Mandy Walker. And in this episode, we're talking about handling the debts in the divorce process. My guest today is certified divorce financial analyst, Lisa Decker, Lisa has an online community, Divorce Town USA, 
And Lisa, before we go back to questions about debts, I was wondering if you'd like to share with our listeners a little bit more about what Divorce Town USA is. Yes, thank you. So Divorce Town USA is a community website where folks who are dealing with divorce matters, whether they're contemplating in the midst of or post-divorce, can find resources to help them, such as articles, videos, podcasts, recordings that some of our get our members may upload, as well as find the professionals that they need to help them with their divorce matters. And that might mean attorneys, mediators, a divorce financial planning specialist, uh, certified divorce lending professionals, real estate collaboration specialists in divorce, insurance folks, and the like. Because what many people don't realize is that divorce has many layers and no one person should say that they can take care of every need in divorce. And so by being able to reach out and have a team of vetted experts who are really there committed to the client and looking to help people come up with a more amicable process is very valuable and very rewarding. So I'm very happy to have founded this concept, but I'll tell you quickly, originally I had a roadmap that um, I still have a roadmap. We've changed it up a little bit, but the original roadmap talked about keeping people on peaceful place and savings lane and then explained the pros and cons to that. That's going to be mediation, collaborative, amicable divorce type situations because we want to keep them away from Bigger Bucks Boulevard and Duke It Out Drive. And that is (laughs) the other side of town. And that's where you head to court and think you're going to get justice and justice doesn't always come. So by coming up with something that had a little levity, most people, when I tell them about this, they go, oh, how do I stay over here at Peaceful Place and Savings Lane? It hits home very quickly to let people understand how this world of divorce works. So thank you for asking about that. Well, I love your roadmap and Big Bucks Drive. and uh, It creates a great visual. So well done for creating that. I think that, yeah, it'll really help people to understand. And and I wholeheartedly agree with you that like, divorce is, I mean, it touches so many aspects of someone's life that no one person can answer it, all the questions. And it's really good to have these other, to build your professional team to support you through it. Yes. Right before the break, you had mentioned student loan debt. So what's your lowdown on that? Well, student loan debt, as I mentioned, can only come in the name of one spouse or the other. Uh, You can't sign on for student loan debt as a joint couple, like buying a car or a house. So it's going to be in individual names. But then the second question we're going to look at is, was this loan taken out or loan set of loans? Many people have multiple student loans, but were these debts taken out prior to the marriage, during the marriage, or are they going to need debt post-divorce, right? Are they going back? Are we talking about the debt of the spouses as opposed to children's student loan debt? I am. I am. A lot of times I'm finding that more so uh, than children's student loan debts held by parents. Many times by the time they come to me, I handle mostly gray divorce clients, people 55 and older getting divorced and, and 
many times that the children have their own debts. So, but I have had a few occasions on that. And again, one parent will sign on to that. So it's going to be in that parent's name along with the child. And we're going to put that in that parent's column. And then we're going to offset that against other debts or other assets, whatever the resources are that we have to work with in each couple's financial picture. I I work mostly as a financial neutral. So I work with couples as they're going through the divorce process. And it's it's a different flavor than being an advocate, which I'm an advocate, but I'm an advocate for the peaceful process and for helping people to save a lot of money and a lot of angst in the process, as well as save the fabric of their family. Because I think that's some of the most important work that we do, Mandy, as CDFAs, is that, you know, we're really looking at this from a financial perspective, but also, you know, how can we mitigate the damage on the family? That's a lot of the conversation that I have with people as well. So, you know, if it's going to be a sticking point, how can we help people to see it in a different way? But most of the student loan debt that comes to me, it, it has to do with, you know, I, I started this student loan before I got married and then I got married and I was still carrying on this student loan and some of it I amassed during the marriage. And so how do we parse out the different pieces of that so that one spouse isn't paying for something that wasn't their obligation before they were married? And then the other piece to that conversation that I've, I've had with some people is like, if they've actually done that postgraduate study program during the marriage mm-hmm. is to actually ask, well, can you identify what was the loan used for and how much of it was used for tuition and the expense of education and how much of it was used for living expenses? Because the living expenses piece, you could argue as a marital debt because you've supported the family through that debt. And therefore that piece you could argue needs to be divided or have a, there's a a joint responsibility there. Whereas the tuition piece, you have the asset that goes with that because that's all the knowledge that you've acquired and is in your brain. And so that debt belongs with you. Mm -hmm. Yep. And again, multi-layers to all of this, you know, we are the ones that look at each line item on the marital balance sheet and dissect it and analyze it for these types of things that we're talking about. And then as CDFAs, we put that all back together in a, in a way of like fitting the puzzle pieces together in a way that is the best for both spouses uh, so they can move on as best as possible, as whole as possible into their future, setting people up for success. So I have a few more topics to touch on, and I want to try and get us covered all of this. I'm not sure if we're going to, but credit cards. I'd love to hear what how you approach credit card debt when you're working with a couple. Well, when it comes to credit cards, you know, first thing we're going to do is break it down and look at who is the actual joint holder. A lot of times people say, well, I hold a credit card. I have one in my own name on that American Express account, so I must be on there. And actually, we find out that they're an authorized user So they are not liable for the debt, but they are also not establishing their own credit with that. And some some credit cards will let you do that. It's every lender is different. So if they are authorized users, it's a much easier fix because we can just ask for them to be removed from the account. 
if they are both jointly on the card, then we've got to come up with a different plan. And again, I try to, as much as possible, get the joint debts paid off and especially the credit cards because that can strangle people going forward and um, let them start with a clean slate. So it's going to be a line by line thing. And we're going to also look at their credit reports. I recommend that people go and get their credit reports pulled from all three agencies and look at any things, any credit cards that might be out there, lines of credit, home equity lines that they weren't aware of or they forgot about. And let's make <laughs> that, um, you know, those are closed out too. So the credit report can leave give us a lot of information as well. Yeah, I remember when I went through my divorce, I did pull my credit report and I'm in Colorado now and I moved to Colorado from Connecticut and on my credit report, there was a, a credit account for Lord & Taylor, which is a store in the Northeast and nothing out here. And I would never shop there. So it's like, oh, this is time to get rid of this one and close it out. Mm. So, but presumably also I, with all of the credit cards, there has to be some agreement about, you know, looking at the debt, what was the debt incurred for? And is some of that individual debt versus marital debt? And then, as you say, passing that out in a way that is equitable and that the parties can manage post-divorce. And that's a big piece of it. We can come up with all kinds of creative plans, but if they really can't manage it, then it probably is going to fall apart and not take too long for that. So again, our roles are to set people up for success. And that's why I think when you combine the legal, the financial, and the emotional support as your core team in divorce, you're going to have a much better outcome. All right, let, let's jump to IRS debt. Oh, the IRS debt. Yes, yes. No one likes to get those letters. Right. Or tax debt, you know, the yes. states so want their piece. And that, that gets a little tricky. If you've uh, filed a joint return, then that's a joint debt. Now, sometimes you can file things for innocent spouse. You didn't know what your spouse was doing. Takes a little convincing to the IRS, but there are ways to to work around that, but it's all going to depend on the situation at hand. And sometimes we have to get an IRS tax specialist involved to speak to the government on your behalf and try to negotiate things. I don't get into all of that with it. But but, but what if there's no dispute over, yeah, we owe these taxes. It was a joint return. We're not disputing it. But, and we've got a payment plan with the IRS. We have to pay them $350 a month for the next 15 years. Mm-hmm. A noose around the neck. Yes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it has to be paid because otherwise jail is an option and we don't want that for anyone. You know, we come up with what works best. That wouldn't be ideal to, to have someone have to have that debt for so long and to share it jointly, especially for such a long time period. But if there's no other assets to pay off that debt, Um, we may have to do that. So we're going to look at each individual case and say, how can we best handle this? It's a case-by-case basis. What has your experience been with that? Well, I have worked with a a couple where they did agree that she would manage the payments to the IRS because she felt that she was more diligent about making payments and that he would then reimburse her a set dollar amount each month and that she would keep a reconciliation of that so that he would, he was paying it. I mean, again, I think this is another one of those situations where 
you know, the IRS doesn't care what's in your marital agreement. So if he didn't make good on his obligation to her, she would have recourse to court to get reimbursement. The other caution I've heard about that IRS is you have to be careful if you ever file a tax return post-divorce and there's a, a refund due on it, the IRS is going to keep that refund and apply it to the debt. So then you have to then get into this other reconciliation about, you know, well, then you've overpaid your share of it. Right. So that can make it complicated. I usually try and tell people if you've got outstanding IRS debts, you just need to, I don't mean just, it's oversimplifying it, but it's best to make sure that you owe the government each year rather than have a refund for that reason. Interesting point. I have not come across that, but you're right. That is. And I love talking with colleagues because we all have had different kinds of cases and we learn from it, but that's a wonderful point. Yeah. Um, And the IRS is going to be relentless. So yes. (laughs) And the States too. (laughs) Yes. It can be worse than the IRS. So we're almost right up on time. I, I do want to touch on, and we mentioned it very early, family loans. Because I often see that, you know, they're often not documented. Um, And that means that you may be out of luck from a legal standpoint. And then I can't tell you the number of clients that say, yeah, he owes his mom 20,000. But you know that as soon as the divorce is over, she's forgiving that loan and she's never going to ask for repayment. So it shouldn't be taken into consideration. It does get very tricky because if there is nothing in writing, then how do you prove that? I've had people show checks that were deposited, much like when we're doing separate property for gifting, you know, we will look at the intention of a check received. And many times people have shown the card that it came with, you know, was this, did the card say here, here's a loan for you, um, you know, and, and pay me back when you can, or, you know, some kind of terms written in there, or was it a, a gift actually? And sometimes spouses will argue, well, that was a gift to me, so it should be separate property. And yet the person really is wanting it paid back. So, you you know, you've got to keep evidence on those kinds of things if you can. It's interesting. And it's I think certainly with our hat on about Divorce Town USA and staying away from Big Bucks Drive, you're looking for, I think that this is where often a, you can have more of a, a moral or ethical conversation about something that isn't documented and say, mm-hmm. well, you know that that was where the money for the deposit on the house came from. And Mm -hmm. you know that that should be treated as a separate asset. Yes, we definitely want to keep people away from Duke It Out Drive and Bigger Bucks Boulevard because these kinds of situations can take on a life of their own and you can end up spending more in legal fees than the actual amount of the loan. And what I would say is throughout your marriage, good documentation is just a good practice for everything, but especially when it comes to matters like this, you know, keeping good records because intention is what they say, nine-tenths of the law. And what was the intent of that check received? Right. Was it a loan? Was it a gift? And, um, you know, it can get pretty hairy, splitting hairs sometimes when you have <laughs> he said, she said, right? So our work is very interesting for sure. So Lisa, we are up on time. I have one last question. If if you had one thing you'd like our listeners to take away from our conversation today, what would that be? 
Oh, gosh. Let's see. I think that people should be proactive partners, not passive participants in the matters of their wealth and their health. And that means getting to understand your financials during your marriage. We see typically so many times that, you know, one spouse will handle the finances and the other doesn't really have much involvement with it. And then suddenly you look up one day and you're facing a situation like a divorce and you're blindsided. Is very scary. I think people should be involved all throughout their marriage, understanding credit and really becoming more savvy about those things because you know, you don't know if one day your marriage is going to end because you're getting a divorce or your spouse passes away as happened, right. right? So it's good for both spouses to be involved. It keeps the conversation open so that money doesn't become one of those factors that drives a, di- a marriage to divorce because and, you're in and, it and since most of our listeners I'm thinking are at the point of going through divorce, the, the, I'm going to tweak that and say just because you don't understand finances, if that's the way that your marriage was, that doesn't mean to say you can't understand it. It may just mean that you haven't had the experience and the learning, and this is a good learning opportunity for you to change the way that you interact with money going forward. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, you may have another relationship after this. You don't want to repeat those mistakes. You don't want to be blindsided there. You don't want to be taken advantage of. So there's, it's never too late to learn. And that's what we as CDFAs can help people do. We empower them with that knowledge that helps bring clarity and confidence. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you for having me. This has been wonderful. Listeners, my guest today was Lisa Decker. Lisa is a certified divorce financial analyst at CDFA, in case you're not familiar with the term, and the author of How to Divorce Your Spouse, Not Your Money. Lisa has an online community, Divorce Town USA, and collaborates with the Amicable Divorce Network. We'll make sure that all of Lisa's information is in the show notes So you'll be able to follow her on your social media and check out her book. Make sure that you subscribe so you can catch every episode of Divorce and Other Things You Can Handle in your weekly feed. If you like what you hear, rate and review us to help other women like you find us. This podcast is for you. So please do reach out to us at podcastworthy.com to let us know what you think and what other topics you'd love to hear about. We look forward to hearing from you and you can find more episodes at worthy.com forward slash podcast. Thanks for listening to Divorce and Other Things You Can Handle, a branded podcast from Worthy. Worthy is a selling partner you can trust to help you get the best deal possible on your diamond jewelry. Visit worthy.com to learn more and get started. If you have questions about an episode, compliments you'd like to share, or would like to be a guest, please email us at podcast at worthy.com. Follow the podcast at We Are So Worthy on Instagram, or see our Facebook page, Divorce and Other Things You Can Handle, for information about the show. Please see our show notes at worthy.com forward slash podcast for resources and more information about today's episode and guest. I'm your host, Mandy Walker. You can learn more about me at mandywalker.com. Huge thank yous to Worthy's production team. Listen, follow, or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts 
Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you like to listen. Our next episode will be live in two weeks, so stay tuned. <laughs>